Welcome to Future Docs Podcast. My name is Pedro Mizani. I'm a family physician and the co-host of this Future Docs Podcast. And I am your other co-host, Valen Rosas. I'm a leadership intern here at AC Medical. And as always, we invite you to watch the video version of this podcast by visiting youtube.com forward slash acmedicalorg. So today's episode is episode 52, and it is part two of a two-part series entitled 2021's Top 9 Events for Residency Candidates. Last week's episode, part one, we discussed events number one to six, and today we'll be discussing part two, which includes events number seven to nine. Starting off with event number seven, we have the NRMP Program Director Survey, which was released one year early, which was in August 2021. Can you tell us more about this, Dr. Mazzani? Sure. So the the uh, program director survey is something that NRMP started uh, in 2014, and it's been very helpful because it has now given us a lot of insight into what program directors look for when they're looking at candidates when they want to offer them interviews. So not only does it, you know, talk about the factors that they look for, and it gives it a numerical popularity percentage score, but also it talks about its importance as program directors rated it on a scale of one to five and how important is that factor. So just because it is very popular does not mean that it is very important. So both of those were really insightful uh, for us to see. And so they did that every two years, but because of the pandemic, they decided to do it uh, one year early. And so they released the 2021 program director survey just to see how the pandemic has affected the resident selection process. And so that's what we were really excited to see the 2021 program director survey. And in this 2021 survey, there's been a lot of new information that we've never seen before. And one of the most important items was, of course, being able to see the difference in what happens with step one score, because now it's being shifted over the pass fail and what generally residency programs are thinking about it. And then we, we saw that the importance of that has dropped versus the 2020 program director survey, but also there's some really key new factors that that is being tracked now, which is what is the percentage of uh, programs that are looking at applicants holistically. And so we're really interested to see how that's going to uh, transpire in the uh, in the future surveys as, as they become available to us. So the program director survey is really, really good, and it helps a lot of our members uh, really get an objective you know, direction in how they should uh, spend their time getting their application ready. So if something is, if a factor is low in popularity and maybe high in importance or low in importance, they can figure out how much time and energy they want to go ahead and, and put into that specific factor, two of the most popular factors, which should always be looked at with a grain of salt is, you know, how much interest you show in research and, and your step three score. And so take a look at this program director survey and it's going to shed a lot of light into what you're doing right and most importantly what you're not doing right and you should improve upon thank you dr mazani for the second point ecfmg certificates approved for 2021 match were extended to 2022 can you please tell us a little bit more about this and why the expiration was ex extended sure so i guess as a part of this event the five pathways that were originally created by ECFMG and the sixth pathway that was added were all quite significant. And uh, also ECFMG decided that, look, let's just go ahead and extend 
you know, you're approved for getting an ECFMG certificate. Let's go ahead and extend it by an additional year, certainly because not much has changed between 2021 and 2022 match because of all the changes that were implemented. So they figured they would just go ahead and extend that uh, approval if, if you already been approved. I think it's also important just to kind of touch upon the six pathways a little bit as well. You know, uh, so pathway one is if you're already licensed to practice medicine in another country. And pathway two was if you passed a standardized clinical skills exam for medical licensure in another country. We haven't seen too many of our members that have qualified under pathway two. Majority of our members are on the pathway one and pathway six, which we'll discuss in a short bit. Pathway three is if your medical school is uh, accredited by an agency that is recognized by the World Federation of Medical Education. Uh, as you may or may not know that all of the medical schools where we graduate from they must be recognized by an accrediting body that is recognized by the World Federation of, for Medical Education, which is a part of ECFMG. And so that is going to go into uh, effect as of 2024. Originally, it was 2023, but because of the pandemic, it's been delayed by one year. And so if your school is recognized by one of those, then certainly your medical school will qualify and your, your graduation will qualify on the pathway three for an ECFMG certification. You'd be surprised to see which one of those countries is not included. I was surprised to see that India was not included. I was surprised to see Pakistan was not included. Uh, and those are going to change, but certainly it's important that you, uh, you monitor the list of countries and regions which have uh, a recognized accrediting body and see how that affects you. Uh, pathway four is if your medical school has been found to be equivalent in the education that it provides to a U.S. medical school, and that is done by uh, the National Committee for Foreign Medical Education and Accreditation, NCFMEA, which is a part of the U.S. Department of Education. Not many schools qualify under this. There are certainly a lot, but, but not nearly anywhere close to the number of uh, foreign medical schools around. There's some Caribbean medical schools that do qualify under this. There's some other medical schools that offer U.S. Department of Education financial aid to their U.S. citizens and residents uh, uh, and that, and they qualify. But uh, certainly that's a that's a tough qualification to have, And but that's pathway four. And then pathway five is if your degree was, was issued jointly between a foreign medical school and a U.S. medical school and you know, we know that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of programs between Australia and United States and a few other countries, and that's Pathway 5. And the new one that was introduced, Pathway 6, is evaluation of your clinical patient encounter uh, by a licensed U.S. physician. That's been introduced, and you, essentially your, your physician has to be approved by ECFMG, and, and then they sign and complete an evaluation form after your patient encounter. So those are the six pathways. And those were all significant changes in 2020 and 2021. Thank you, Dr. Mazzani. Sure. And for the ninth uh, points that we have for this two-part series uh, is the re recommendations of comprehensive improvements of the UME, uh, GME transition. Can you tell us more about this, Dr. Mazzani? This is big. Uh, this is it's, it's huge. Uh, and not just because of the size of the report, but but uh, this report just identified a list of challenges that has been affecting both mainly negatively the transition of medical students into residency and then post-graduation. And some of the, you know, some of the red flags that they've raised is that there's been too much focus on finding and filling residency position instead of assuring that these learners 
competence and readiness for residency training is in place. There has been another area of concern was the inattention to making sure that there is, you know, the goals of the applicant and the mission of the program are lined up. There's been issues of over-reliance by residency program and also residency candidates on licensure exam scores rather than, you know, something that is trustworthy and something that is a, it's a valid measure of a student's competence and, and clinical skills rather than a three-digit score. And the other area, which there was a, there was a major concern in this report is increasing financial costs to students. If you just imagine the number of programs that you apply to through ERAS, it goes up exponentially, the more programs that you apply to. And with the level of competition, you kind of have no choice, but to apply to more programs just so that hopefully maybe, you know, 10, 15% of the programs actually get to your application. So it's become quite a vicious cycle that, uh, you know, the more programs that people apply to, to get noticed, well, there's more people applying to more programs. So we're kind of back to square one again with our issues. And then also, uh, which was quite significant in this report is there has been individual and there's been systemic biases in both undergraduate and graduate medical education in that transition. And that uh, there are inequalities that are linked to international medical graduate applicants and their ability to secure graduate medical education uh, versus other types of, of applicants. So again, there were over three dozen recommendations here and you know, I'm just going to name a, 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 some of these changes that they are recommending. So going to cover some of these recommendations and we are going to have a full webinar on this and, and it may be a little bit early right now in early 2022 to know what the impact of this report is, uh, what kind of impact this is going to have on graduate medical education or transitioning into it. But one of the recommendations is saying that the center for uh, Medicare and Medicaid services, CMS, should change the graduate medical education funding structure so that the initial residency period is calculated starting with the second year of residency rather than the first year. And this change would allow residents to reconsider their career choice currently if a resident decides to switch to another program or specialty after beginning their training, the hospital may not receive full GME funding. So it may be a lot less likely to approve that change. And this kind of keeps a lot of residents, you know, in one residency, uh, whether they're happy with their decision or not, and it makes it much, much tougher for them to move the funding along with their move into another residency. And so a lot of the new residencies that accept uh, somebody who's transferring may need to fund that position out of their pocket rather than it coming from CMS. And so that was one of the recommendations. Another recommendation is residency programs should improve recruitment practices to increase specialty specific diversity of residents. Medical educators also should receive additional training regarding anti-racism, avoiding bias and ensuring equity. Strong, strong words. Next recommendation, the self-reported demographic information of applicants to residency programs should be measured and shared with stakeholders, including the programs and medical schools to promote equity. A residency program that finds bias in its selection process could go back in real time 
to find qualified applicants who may have been missed, potentially improving outcomes, which the report has shown. Another recommendation that is also being made is they want an interactive database of graduate medical education programs and specialty track information and made available to all applicants and medical schools and residency programs at absolutely no cost. And what would happen is that applicants and their advisors should be then able to sort that information according to demographics and educational features that may significantly impact the likelihood of matching at that programs. And really the issue with all of this was kind of linking this back over to the 2021, really the 2020 program director survey and the 2021 program director survey. It just found that, you know, less than half of the applicants really received an in-depth review, holistic review, which means that over 50% of the applications just either didn't get looked at or you know, there was some sort of a numeric criteria that the program used to try to see if, if that's the type of applicant that they want. There's a lot of other reasons behind all of this, but it's uh, quite a significant report that was released in August of 2021. Thank you, Dr. Mazzani. Uh, what about the structured evaluation letter? Great point. So the report also is asking for the there be to be an overhaul of how uh, letters of recommendation are submitted by candidates. And the recommendation is to replace letters of recommendation with a structured evaluation letter, SEL. This is a specialty specific document that has questions specifically about that specialty and it would provide knowledge from the evaluator on a student's performance that was directly observed versus a narrative recommendation which could certainly be you know very subjective and a lot of them could just be copied and pasted from a previous letter of recommendation so this is i think a much bigger recommendation which i am not 100 percent sure how they're going to get every letter writer to comply with this i guess at some point if if it just changes and everybody needs to complete an sle then the the providers need to then at that point decide whether they are going to fill one out or not we're starting to see a lot of those type of pushbacks from some of our emergency medicine attending physicians some are willing to complete a slow which is a standardized level of evaluation very similar to sel but majority of them fill it out it's just very time consuming so I think once the physicians figure out a way on, on how to incorporate that as a part of their overall evaluation of someone, then, then it will take effect. But I would assume that this is going to take a few years for, for it to be completely adopted by every preceptor in the United States. Thank you, Dr. Mazzani. Well, that was just a preview, a short preview of the 34 recommendations on UME, GME transition. We will have a webinar discussing that. Is that correct, Dr. Mazzani, in the future? We will. We're just giving it a little bit of time to for it to kind of pan out and see if there's a follow-up to this August report. So, you know, we're, we're either going to go ahead and, and do a presentation on this and uh, just cover what the report said or or wait a, a couple more months to see if, if there's any additional data points that are available as a result of this these recommendations. Oh, great. Uh, looking forward to it, Dr. Mazzani. Well, this concludes our Future Docs podcast episode. And if you're listening to this podcast, be sure to watch the video form on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash ACMedicalOrg. 
And if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. We really try hard to stay up to date with the most important things that can affect your residency application and to make sure that you remain competitive by having objective evidence-based guidance provided by us to you. And so uh, if you have any questions, please you can email podcast at acmedical.org or you could become a member. And so we can discuss all of these very personally and one-on-one -on -one with you and see how they relate to you. Or you can come to one of our office hours and and really get to see how our mentorship is done. You could do that and you can try us out for free by visiting acmedical.org forward slash try us for free and uh, just type it out like that, put spaces in there and Google will find it and we'll take you to that page and then you can come and check out one of our office hours and we'll allow you to come in complimentary. As always, thank you for your time, Dr. Mazzani and for our future docs, we will catch you next week. Thank you so much, Dr. Rosas, and everybody who's been uh, listening and watching. We appreciate you. We'll see you in episode 53. Bye-bye.